Alrighty, everybody, this is your boy King Legend 757. Welcome to another amazing episode of King Legend Talk. Today, we got a treat for y'all. And we're not talking Halloween, first of all. Let's get that out the gate. We're talking about uh, an amazing gift that um, is touching the platform right now. And I'm quite sure God is going to bless us through some of the things this gentleman says right now. He's literally using this guy to share people's testimony on Instagram, social media, different platforms, and the impact that he's having right now just by sharing the good news is amazing. And so I had to have him on the platform today to talk about it. We have one and only Christopher Randall. You might know him online as Crazy God Story. Oh, um, Crazy God Story. Is it okay if I call you Crazy God Story? The way Instagram works, you... it just feels normal. <laughs> You didn't say whatever you want, man. Okay. okay. I, I, I ain't sweating, bro. Yeah, no, my name, my name's Chris. You know, I go by Crazy God Story here on on uh, on social media. And I just, uh, man, first 30 years of my life, I wanted to be a Jesus follower. I wanted to be a Christian. No one showed me what that looked like. And when I put my faith in Jesus and surrendered my life to the to, to, to the God, <laughs> I almost said the God. When I surrendered my life, there's only one God, right? But right. when I surrendered my life to God for the first time, like legitimately surrendered, um, the Holy Spirit just kind of took control, took over, everything took off. My life became unexplainable apart from God, you know, and, and one of the things that I didn't realize at the time was, you know, God was really preparing me to strengthen other believers, to help other people learn how to live by faith and follow Jesus, you know, and, and, uh, in math, you know, in Matthew six, Jesus says, you know, don't talk about the things that you, or don't do the things that you do in order to be seen by other people. He talks about that. But what a lot of people miss is that in Matthew five seventeen, the chapter before Jesus said, let your light shine before men. So they see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. Right. right. And I get people who are like, you're not supposed to talk about what you do. I'm like, well, there's a difference between like the dudes who go on social media and are filming themselves handing out like giant stacks of money, right? Come on, they're, talk about it. they're, they're, I mean, dude, those guys, yeah, they get likes, they get views. I mean, they, you know, because people are like, Oh, they're doing so good. And I'm like, my goal isn't to, to get people to think that I'm doing great. Right. Like I'm not anything special. I am a normal dude who said yes to God. I suck as much as anybody else. Right. I got struggles, faults, you know, flaws, failures, but my life is surrendered to God. I've made a habit of saying yes to him. And, and so I like talking about the things that I've seen God do in my life because the God we read about in this book, man, he's still doing the things today through the lives of his followers that he did in this book. He didn't stop doing that stuff, man. You know? And so there's so many people that I talk to and they're struggling to figure out like how to live by faith, how to follow Jesus, what it means to be part of the church. And they're just like, they see other believers that are having like these amazing, victorious, awesome Christian lives. You know, they hear story, you know, the, these stories and they're like, I don't know how to get to where I'm seeing that happen. They have like this, almost this disconnect in their life because what they read about in the Bible and what they see happening in other people, it's not happening in their lives. And it's just for so often a lack of discipleship, right? That's right. what Jesus at the end, of, at the end of Matthew, you know, in all four of the gospels, you can see what we call the great commission. It's where Jesus tells his followers to go reach the lost for the gospel and then to work together to teach them to follow Come him. On, right? And it's this repetitive pattern. And so much of the problem, like my thing growing up, I don't know if this is how they're supposed to start, but hey, look, I'll, let's, what, go. But, let's go. But you know, I when I was growing up, like I grew up in what I call my wife hates that I say this, but it's my childhood, so it's how I describe it mm -hmm. schizophrenic Christianity. 
Because I use the word crazy in a couple ways, right? One is not in a good way. And my childhood was really, it was nuts. It was insane. Um, we were hyper-religious sometimes. My family was good at going to church and acting religious and speaking, you know, Christianese and doing churchianity. But there was a lot of abuse and stuff going on at home. So you'd never, like, if you looked at my family at church and then away from church, it was, you know, a tale of two lives. It was mm -hmm. just this incredibly, you know, incredible hypocrisy. And when I was 18, I asked my mom, I was like, why should I believe what you believe? Because like, there was nothing real in her life. Right. And she didn't have an answer. That question shocked her. And it still haunts her to this day that I asked her that, mm -hmm. but I wanted God in my life. Nobody ever showed me how to follow Jesus. And so like I left home, I kept doing what I learned growing up and you know, it left me really so broken. Like I got arrested in 2005. I was a liar and a thief. Um, you know, I ended up with deferred adjudication in the state of Texas, um, you know, which I went on probation for a couple of years. And I mean, I got in trouble. I kept messing up. I kept trying to do things the way that I learned growing up. And mm -hmm. if somebody had shown me early on what it means to follow Jesus, what that actually looks like, I would have avoided so much heartache, pain and misery in my life. But the thing that I'm thankful for is what that showed me is the importance of making disciples. It is the most incredibly, one of the most incredible, it is as important for us to reach the lost with the gospel. It, I mean, us teaching people how to follow Jesus is right. just as important as yeah. us reaching the lost with the gospel. Because if you take somebody and get them saved and then you don't teach them how to follow Jesus, if you don't grab some, I mean, this is what Jesus told us to do, right? He said in Matthew, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have all power, like all power, all, of it. To all the world, make disciples of all nations, bad, you know, teach them to observe everything I've taught you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always till the end of the age. In, 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 in Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so a lot of times I talk to people about the Great Commission, and they're like, well, you know, we got to go reach the lost of the gospel. Or, you know, we got to teach people to follow Jesus. It's those two things. Yeah. You cannot have one without the other, or it, else you end up with mm. really unhealthy believers, right? You, you, if you, if you go and reach the lost with the gospel, but then you don't teach people how to follow Jesus. It's like, I heard a uh, David, I love David Platt, right? And if you don't like him, whatever, but one time, you know, him and his wife have adopted a couple kids. Well, one time they adopted this three-year-old from some, you know, from some other country brought her home. And he goes, look, you know, if you lead someone to salvation and you don't teach them, you're not, you don't have something set up where people are being taught to follow Jesus. It's like if me and my wife got this three-year-old little girl, brought her to America and said, welcome to America, have a nice life, and then just left her, right? Right. And, and it is not enough for us just to, Come on. it's not, it is not enough Come for someone on. to go to church on Sunday, right? You need so much more than that because the church isn't the building, it's the body of Christ. And so it is not enough. For yeah. someone to go show up on Sunday, listen to a sermon, sing some songs, maybe go to, you know, a weeknight Bible study. Like, that's not the purpose of the church. That's not what the church was intended to be was just that, right? right. It's intended to be the body of Christ where we're working together to reach the lost with the gospel and then corporately teach people to follow Jesus. And so if, yeah, so man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go All right, all fellas, that. listen, that's, like that's the interview. Heart. Thank y'all for tapping in on King Legend Talks right there. <laughs> He was on fire. Listen, that is so true on so many different levels. I can't tell you guys what he's saying. Like, it means so much because there's a lot of people that feel this way, genuinely feel this way. And this can be um, discouraging at times when you don't feel like other people are getting it. 
But then when you hear somebody like that, that completely gets in and understands that this is so much more than saying, I gave my life to Christ. Like so many people, life with Jesus stops at the cross. And it's like, listen, yeah. we're, we're celebrating you in heaven with the angels when you give your life to Christ. That is, that is awesome. But now with, with, with giving your life to Christ, what are you going to do for those people that are still struggling? Yeah. But wait, we can't just send you out there. You just gave your life to Christ yesterday. We can't just be like, no, I gave man, my life to no, Christ. You no, got it all figured and, out. We got to help you. Dude, that's, yeah, and that's bunk. There was, there was, I heard this story. I heard this, this story, this woman, I, and I can't, she was somewhere in India, right? And, and, uh, like, I've got this. It's one of my stories. Um, I, you know, um, and this was, uh, you know, David Platt. So he does a lot of, uh, mission work all over the world. He's involved in, in trying to, you know, spread the gospel all over the place. Right. And so there's this, this school that he's got, or they, they had, he was working with like some missionaries or something somewhere in India. I, I don't remember the name of the town, but this, uh, this girl, uh, and they were in this town where there was no gospel presence at all. Right. And so this girl, uh, had they they were th this group had set up like this this worship service they'd gone in and done like this free concert it wasn't like a big thing but this girl who was a hindu got invited and um went to this thing and um and uh um you know afterwards the the people that were holding the group they had a, a planning meeting for how are we going to reach the people in this town with the gospel so this girl wasn't even supposed to be at this worship session right like it was you know it was for the people that were doing this thing she heard about it got invited she goes um, you know, and so they have this planning meeting and they're like, okay, so we need to, uh, you know, plan, how are we going to reach these people? Well, she wasn't supposed to go to that either, but she's like, you know, I'm curious. I want to know what this is about. And so one of the things they talk about at this meeting is, man, we got to figure out how are we, um, how are we going to reach the lost here? Right. Let's talk about what the gospel is. And so they just for like 15 minutes or something talked about the gospel. Well, she heard it. She got saved. And then like started, uh, you know, went out and got some of her friends and family members, brand new Christian, right? Mm -hmm. and, and went and got some of her, you know, she had some of these people come to her house and she's like, hey, you know, let's, let's go. And so she got a bunch of her friends and family members, um, shared what she had just heard with them. Mm -hmm. And they started a church from that. This girl that had just been saved for like 12 seconds, because here's the thing, when you get saved you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes Dr. and lives inside Master of you. Right? And Jesus, yes, and Jesus in Acts 1-8, he said, you'll receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to the entire world, right? Think about the power that he's talking about. The God that created the universe, the God that spoke everything into existence, that created the sun, the moon, the stars, like everything by his spoken word that took some dirt turned into a human and then breathed into it like and, and created a human being that he gave life to that god that power lives inside of us for the express purpose of reaching the lost with the gospel to empower us to reach the lost with the gospel you don't have to do like anything fantastic or special one time i was this is one of my favorite things that ever happened one time i was driving down the highway in corpus christi texas this guy was broke down on the side of the road with a flat tire so i stopped to help right Go to change the guy's tire. I tried to talk to him about Jesus, but he was frustrated. He'd been there hours. He wanted to get going. And so on one of my business cards, I wrote down the name, address, and phone number of this church in Corpus Christi that I like called Calvary Chapel. Non-denominational, good Bible teaching church. They love people where they're at. They're fantastic. They're all over the place. If you're looking for a church, check out Calvary Chapel where you're at. Sorry, shameless plug. I think they're doing good stuff. But anyways. Right. But so, so I... 
I go on my way. I don't think anything else of it. And like a month later, I get a phone call from this guy named Ron that goes to that church. He's like, hey, the next time I don't live in Corpus Christi, I live out, you know, way from there. But he's like, the next time you're in town, I want to buy you a cup of coffee. And so I go and I meet with I meet with Ron and um, he's like, look, the guy who stopped to help, his name is Vaughn. He was a drug enforcer for a living. Like he worked for like cartels and gang, you know, gangs. And he was the person that made sure that those people got paid or bad things happened. Mm -hmm. right so this is this is like a bad not a not a good dude not to be yeah and he had been wanting to get out of that life he'd been trying to figure out well the night before i stopped to help he had had a dream where god let him know if he didn't change his life like his life was going to be over right and he's got a girlfriend they got a bunch of kids and so when i stopped to help him it oh dropped my dropped my thing but when i stopped to help him it it just shook him because of the dream he had the night before. And so he went to the church. I suggested there's a coffee shop there. He met Ron who was at the church that day. Ron's not a pastor or anything. Ron shared the gospel with him. He gave his life to Jesus was radically transformed, got out of that altogether. And now he helps other people get out of that. Like he does work to get people out of that kind of lifestyle and everything else. And he went from being a dope dealer to a hope dealer, right? I didn't do anything special. The only thing I did was tried to point someone to Jesus. God was already at work in this guy's life. I have no idea. I did not know what his past was. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know what God was doing in his life or I spoke to him. I just knew that I believe that people are going to die and go to hell if they're not saved. I believe people are going to spend eternity separated from God if they don't give their life to Jesus because there's no way to salvation except through Jesus. And so I try and tell people about it, right? Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, is, Reaching the loss of the gospel is not dependent on how much we know or our ability to speak. It's right. dependent on who we know. And if we're willing to step out in faith and allow him to speak through us, because the God, like God lives inside of me, right? The right. Holy Spirit lives inside of me so that you can reach that person. And, and it looks different for all of us, the way that we do it. But you don't have to do anything special or be anything special or say anything special. You just got to try and tell people that Jesus, I was at the mall like two days ago. Right. And, and, and they got those guys that try and, you know, clean your shoes for free and stuff. And they want to, you know, test their products. And so I'm up there, this guy's cleaning my shoes. And, and I don't even remember how we got on it, but I was like, Hey man, do you know Jesus? And he's like, eh, you know, and I'm like, have you ever heard the gospel? And he's like, no, I'm like, can I share it with you? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. And so right then and there, man, I just shared in like five minutes, I shared the gospel with him. And, and I was like, do you want to see Jesus as your savior? He's like, yeah. That's- I'm like, you don't have to do anything special. You just got to try and the Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. Right before I had talked to that guy, I didn't even know this. Like he was in and out of church pretty infrequently. There was a pastor that had been talking to him right before then. This pastor's trying, been, been trying to get him to get baptized. I'm right. like, I, I wasn't the first person to share this stuff, you know, talk to him about Jesus. I just stepped into the work that God was already doing in his life. And I got to be the person to reap the harvest. And it was the freaking coolest thing ever. So, you know, when I hear you share all of that, what, what really screams out to me is the fact that people have to believe it. Because when you yeah. believe something, you're going to warn people if you know there's intimate danger there for that person if they don't know the truth. If yeah. there's a school bus coming and there's a little child there in the road, who doesn't believe that the bus can kill them or the bus can hurt them. And they think they watch some movie, they're Superman, they're going to stand there. Now, you truly believe that this bus can hurt this child. You're going to do the thing, which is go grab that child or let this child know, come here, 
get out the road, get out the street. You're not going to allow that yeah. child to be there in the middle of that road and get hit by this bus that's coming. It's the same thing yeah. when we spread the gospel and we preach it to people. There's people on their way to hell. If you truly believe you're a Christian, you truly believe in Jesus Christ, if you truly believe there's a heaven and you truly believe there's a hell, that means there are people on their way to hell every single day. The harvest is plentiful. Yeah. The laborers are few. There's plenty of people that are on their way and need to hear this good news. So don't ever feel like they don't need to hear it. There's plenty of people that yeah. need to hear it. And you don't have to be a person that went to a Bible college all your life. And, and all of a sudden, now you got these degrees and the, all these things to back you up to preach the gospel. Because you believe that heaven is true, hell is true, and that people are going to one or two places. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and he saved you from going to eternal damnation, you also recognize that there's other people on their way there. And now part of you being delivered from that mess is to say, hey, listen, Christ can save you. If you continue to live in your sin, this is the penalty. And yeah. you have to have that heart for people. What I find is that the church and I don't like to say this a lot, but there's a lot of people that call themselves believers in Christ, but have this selfish Christianity where it's about my salvation and my salvation only. I don't <clears throat> care if you die and go to hell. I don't care. That mentality is toxic to truly say that you believe in Jesus Christ, but you don't care about somebody else's internal salvation. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think there's a couple things, you know, like, one is like, if, you know, do you really care about other people? I think you have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe the gospel, but I think you also have to believe some other things that the Bible says, like you have to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit right. to work through us. Right. Like, cause there's so many people that are like that. I, and I believe them that genuinely believe everything that, you know, believe what this book says. They genuinely believe in this eternal, you know, in you know heaven and they, they believe in the gospel they believe that you're going to go to hell but they're not convinced that the holy spirit's going to work through them right they're, mm. they're not they don't really believe that and that's and so there's a couple different things I, I think you you have to believe that you have to have that realization that this is not dependent on me it's dependent on the holy spirit right i just have to step into what he's doing you know one of my favorite promises and i think this is one of the most important promises in the entire bible is Matthew 4, 19. Jesus called his first disciples, right? Peter and Andrew, they're, they're fishing, you know, they're down by the water, they're fishing, they're doing their, their fisherman thing. And Jesus calls them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now he's talking to guys that fished for a living. Right. So he was using language they would understand, but he was making a promise to everybody. He was saying, if you follow me, I'm going to transform you into what I want you to be. I'm going to turn you into somebody that I use to bring people to me, right? right? Reaching the lost with the gospel is not dependent. It's like Jesus in the Great Commission. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Fulfill the Great Commission, and I'm with you always. So he tells us this thing, right? Reach the lost with the gospel and teach them to follow me. But he bookends it between his power and his presence. And so it's not like we're trying to do this thing on our own, right? right? And like, and we might do evangelism sometimes on our own, but he gave us the church, right. the body of Christ as a representation of him. And I'm not talking about the building you go to. Right. There is not a building on this planet that's a church. There's churches isn't a building. It's not a location. 
The building is just where the church gathers together, right? We are as believers in the New Testament, every time you see the word church, it's this Greek word, um, ecclesia, ecclesia, people mm-hmm. pronounce it different, but it's it's the believers gathered together to live on mission, to do you know what Christ called us to do. We all have a different role we play. We all fit into that differently, right? I'm mm-hmm. I'm I am I am a little more outgoing than some people. You know, different people have different roles. But uh, you know, I'm I'm kind I'm kind of an extreme extrovert. People are like a full contact sport for me, man. Right? right, right. You know, but and not everybody's like that. But when you get involved with the body of Christ, and again, I'm not talking about just going to a sitting in the building and listening to the pastor on Sunday and singing some songs or right. listening to the so like you know listening to the concert connected to the body of Christ, yeah. not the building. Yeah. Well, think about it like this. I love the I love the picture you see in First Corinthians twelve of the body of Christ, right? It, it talks about how we're all a hand, an ear, an eye, a foot, a nose, or a mouth, or whatever. And so many Christians are like struggling to figure out how to do this Jesus thing, right? And the problem is, is they're not connected to the body in the way that God intended us to be. And so it's like, they're a hand that's laying there, that's, de- you know, cut off from the body. And they're going, why am I not working as a hand? Why am I not working? And they can't understand why this Jesus thing isn't working. Well, you have no blood flow. You have no tendons. You have no ligaments. You have no no, no, no central from the cent- no signal from the central nervous system. You know, a hand laying there can't pick itself up. It's got to be connected to the body. This hand can't do anything unless it's connected to this, right? That's and deep. so we've got to be connected to the body and trying to fulfill. Like there's this expression that I hate. The church is a hospital for sinners, or it should be. That's one of the worst things I've ever heard because it, it causes people to misunderstand the purpose of the church, the ho- the church is not supposed to be a pla- a place for hurting lost sinners to come to. The church is supposed to be like a physician, an emergency physician, one individual unified body going to people that are hurting lost and broken, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we shouldn't get the lost to come to church, but our focus shouldn't just be like, hey, come listen to my pastor. Right. right. It should be us working together to go and reach the law. So, yeah, you know, it, it's so it's such a big deal um, to have a full understanding of what it means to be the salt of the earth and to be ambassadors for Christ. You know, uh, there's a yeah. lot of times people kind of forget that and they lose their identity in that in that um, process because you start to literally put yourself first and put God in the back seat. Like, oh, I believe in God, but this is the way I feel. And that is dangerous. That is so dangerous. Like, even when you read the word of God, please, please, please put your feelings to the side and understand what he's trying to tell you. Because a lot of times people will flip scriptures to, to, to get how they feel. They almost look for validation for how they feel from the scriptures. And that's not the way to read the word of God. You have to understand yeah. it from the way he was trying to deliver the message, who he was talking to, and when he yeah. was saying it. Because salt, for an example, has a many different, um, it, it means different to people according to the generation that's hearing it. So if you say yeah. salt to me today, I'm thinking about salt that goes on my hamburger or my cheeseburger, and that's it. That's as far as it goes. You know, it's seasoning. That's all. It's seasoning salt. But if you say salt to them at the time he was saying it, it had a value. It was currency. Um, there were people who worked, and if they didn't get paid in coins, they actually got paid in salt. It, yep. it had value. Um, it stopped things from decaying. It was preserving yep. 
you know, um, and the way he uses the yeah. darkness in the world. That's what we're here to do, preserve, like, to stop things from decaying. Sin is in the world. Yeah. We're here as ambassadors for Christ to put sin in check. Yeah. People miss Man, that. Yeah. People miss that. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and... and go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you, you're good. That's, still, that's just no. something, as, I just use that as one example, because that's one word. Think about that. Yeah. That is one word in that Bible. That if you don't understand what it means, you would get the wrong interpretation, the wrong message from it. So when you study the Bible, I've learned, this is me personally, I've learned to take yeah. it verse at a time to really understand because there are sermons and verses in the Bible. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I, when I used to read the Bible, when I first started reading it, I read it like a book, meaning I was just trying to finish chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Yeah. But after I was spending that intimate time with God through fasting and praying, I started to recognize that he was trying to tell me much more. Like you could, if you read the Bible that way, you can read three chapters and be like, what the heck did I just read? Like, yeah. seriously, you have to really focus on what the context of scripture is to gain the proper understanding and to develop your faith the way God wants you to. Oh, yeah. But, you know, one, one of the things, too, I, I think that, you know, as you read scripture, you know, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Right. And so he opens he yeah. opens this. Right. And God speaks to us through it. And there's man, there's times I love, you know, digging into like the context and the Greek and the Hebrew and the little bit of Aramaic. I love I love that. But sometimes, man, I like to just sit there and read it and see what the Holy Spirit has to say to me. And yeah, right. man, it's it's there's yeah. But the, the understanding because, you know, like it, it, you what you're talking about, like with the salt. Yeah, there's so many people that I don't think realize that before refrigeration happened, before there was electricity, the way people kept meat like you could take a slab of beef or, or, or pork or chicken or any kind of meat, mm -hmm. you know, put it in salt and it'll actually keep it from spoiling. Like you can leave meat out at room temperature, you know, right. for like, ex for like months, if it's packed in salt, because the salt preserves it. Salt right. is a preservative, you know? So, yeah. And I think a lot of people don't know that, but even, even just the understanding of, the flavor that's so important too because like mm. if you ever tried to if you ever like my favorite food is is usda prime uh you know black angus ribeye right? right medium rare well seasoned cooked over fire super hot get those good grill marks there's you know the fat cap on just sear <laughs> like there's nothing better but if you don't salt that like it tastes bland. terrible yeah it, it doesn't it's not even just bland like the salt like brings out the flavor that's there and enhances it and makes it pleasant. If you ever try eating meat without salt, like it without any seasoning, like it sucks. So anyways, yeah. how much time we got, man, we just rolling with the Holy spirit right now, brother. Cool, 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 cool. Okay. <laughs> so, like, cool, man. you know, that's so deep. Even to add to that, you said salt can make it better. You know, and, and, um, when I think about that, us being the salt in that context that you just explained it, we're even here to make the world a better place. We're well, here to yeah. make the world better when it comes to all the sin that's perverted the way God ordained for things to be. As salt, we're here to correct that in Jesus' name. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's so big because there are so many people that's dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, de depression dealing yeah. with uh, fear, um, all these different things. But as salt, we can go to that person that's dealing with depression 
and point them to Jesus Christ and make their situation better through the power of the Holy Spirit. So even yeah. in that context, salt has an impact on everything. Yeah. Well, one of the things, one of the places in the Bible where it talks about salt, and I think this really gets overlooked. So it talks about, you know, salt in, in the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But right. if you go to Luke 14, Jesus talks about, you know, starting in what is it, verse uh, uh, 25, Jesus starts talking about what it means to follow him. And he says, I'm going to read just a couple of things out of this, right? Okay. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, you know, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on and talks about counting the cost. You know, when people go to war, they figure out, can I actually defeat this other army? You know, if I want to build a building, do I have the resources to complete it? Because if I don't, I'm going to look like a fool. And then he says, so likewise, whoever doesn't forsake everything that he has can't be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It's not fit for the land, nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He has ears to hear, let him hear. And so here's the thing. Also, with when you talk about the idea of salt, like, so I get saved, I give my life to Jesus. People have this testimony of, you know, I was XYZ way before because of sin, I got saved and now I'm different. And for so many people, that's where their testimony stops. And I'm like, man, that's just a start, right? And that's what I do. I tell stories. I'm going to have to get into some stories here. I'm going to have to share some. Come on, but, let's do but it. But once, once we get saved, that's when, you know, so you're saved and you're going, here's the power of the Holy Spirit to change me, to save me, to make me different. But, you know, Jesus is talking there about what it looks like to follow him. You have to forsake everything you have. And it doesn't mean like the crazy guy standing on the corner with a sign, you know, that's naked screaming. The end is coming. He's not talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. He's going, you're living for him more than you're living for anything else. You know, I, the way that I used to live, I had people that thought, I, like, I had the support of my wife to do what I did. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But, like, people thought, even people in the church thought I was a terrible husband and father. They thought I hated my family because the way I was following Jesus and what Jesus is telling us in that passage is the way that you follow me, like you following me should make it look to people like you hate your family. Mm. Right. And if you're not living that way, if you're not living in a way that doesn't make sense to people, like if you're not living by faith, if you're pursuing the world, instead of pursuing me, you might be saved, but you're like, you're like flavorless salt, you know, you can't do anything. And so when we live a life that looks like something out of the Bible, because we're following Jesus. You don't have to be anything special, but when you're living a life where where your life is unexplainable apart from God, right. you're like this this you're 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 showing like that salt, right? So I, I I'm going to share some of my story, I guess. I'm going to share kind of what God did in my life when I went from what I call schizophrenic Christianity to actually following Jesus. We got can I go into this now? Of course. Let's go, but you got to okay. say it. You got to say it first. Crazy God story. Man, that's what we were. This is what I was supposed to get into. I think forty minutes ago, but whatever, dude. Whatever, man. We knew. Hey, look, ago, we knew this was going to happen, bro. We knew this was going to happen. I yeah. Once after I talked to you that first time, I'm like, oh man, we're gonna talk about the Bible a whole bunch. We're gonna we're gonna chase some rabbit trails, but they're they're good ones. So yeah, I didn't I didn't start this the way I I would normally start a podcast, but dude, whatever, man. Let's do let's, it. Let's, let's yeah. Let's so so I I uh. You know, I kind of talked a little bit about my story before, you know, um, you know, some getting in trouble and stuff. Well, in December of 2008, I got to this point. Um, I was, I'd been married for about 10 years at that point. 
well, right at 10 years. My 10th wedding anniversary is December the 8th um, in, 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 uh, 2008. I've been married since 98. Um, you know, I had three little girls. They were about four, five, and six, five, six, seven, right in there at the time. And, um, you know, I, I had been wanting to follow Jesus my whole life. I wanted God in my life, but I went through this thing growing up. I would constantly say the sinner's prayer over and over. I was the kid who every year at church camp would rededicate my life to God or get saved again. You know, before, before I was 30, I probably said the sinner's prayer about 50 times. I probably rededicated my life to God, you know, another 50 times. And I would constantly tell God, I'm putting my, 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 I'm, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And I would tell God, I'm surrendering my life to you. But the thing was, is I would always surrender like 99.999% of my life to God and hold back a little tiny bit. And what I didn't realize all those times is you're surrendering all or nothing. There's no in between you. You're either, it, it's kind of like a woman who's pregnant. She's either pregnant or she's not. There's no in between. You're not, you're not kind of, you're not half pregnant. You're, now you might, you might be farther along in your present, in your pregnancy. Yeah. You might be farther along on your surrender to God, but you're either surrendered or you're not. There is no in between. Right. You know, if you, if you're, if you're holding back a thousandth of a percent, you're not surrendering at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had all these years, I had gone through this thing, this cycle where I would, I would put my, I would say, I'm, you know, put my faith in Jesus to save me. And God, I'm never going to do that stuff again. The stuff that I, you know, I struggled with sin, man, lying, stealing and other stuff. And I, I would constantly tell God, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going back to that. I'm not going to look at those things, do those things. You know, never going to do it again. And I would do really good. Dude, what's up, Tristan? My buddy Tristan just jumped in. So he's one of my best friends in the whole world. I got, dude, Tristan, we got to catch up, man. But, um, you know, I had surrendered. I had, I would um, struggle with sin and I would, um, uh, you know, tell God, I'm surrendering my life to you, putting my faith in Jesus. And I'd pull myself up on my bootstraps. I'd clean myself up for a while. I'd do really, really, really good. And then I'd fall back off the wagon, man. I'd go back. I'd start messing up a little bit. I'd feel dirty, guilty, ashamed, distant from God. And I'd just plunge headfirst back into sin, right? And I'd constantly go through this cycle of backsliding and walking with God. And then in December of 2008, I put my faith in Jesus for the very first time. I didn't just put my faith in Jesus to, to save me or whatever, but I put my faith in Jesus to free me from sin, right? And that's the thing, you know, we talk about repentance. A lot of people talk about repentance and they're like, oh, it means you got to turn from your sin, but you cannot turn from your sin on your own. You do not have the ability to do it. And that's what I believe for 30 years was to repent meant I got to turn from my sin and then God will accept me. That ain't how it works. The word repent in the Bible, like if you look up just the English word repent, it doesn't mean you turn from something. It means you change your mind. The Greek word it's translated from means the same thing. It means you change your mind. And so you have, I had to change my mind and come into agreement with God and realize I was a slave to sin. I could not free myself from sin. I didn't have the power to do that. I didn't have to turn from sin. I just had to turn to God. And then he turned me from the sin that I couldn't turn from. I had to admit to God that I am a sinner. I cannot control myself. I can't control my sin. I can't make myself stop sinning. I need you to do it. And I had to believe I had to put my faith in Jesus to turn my heart from sin, to change me. Right. And, and, and when I did that, God reached into my soul, took the DNA of who I was and radically transformed it. Now I didn't feel some overwhelming, you know, whatever. Lots of people talk about, well, I felt goosebumps or I felt this weight lifted. Like I didn't feel that, but all of a sudden I just wasn't 
a slave to the things I'd been a slave to. I wasn't, I was able to stop lying and stealing and running scams and cons and doing the things I did before. Like I was able to stop where I'd never been able to before. And those things just didn't have the power over me, right? There wasn't even like a temptation for that stuff anymore. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, started going to this church. This was December, 2008. And it was either the last Sunday in that December or the first uh, Sunday in the, in January 09, I started going to this, uh, this church, first Baptist church in Rockport, Texas. Um, I got involved real quickly in a men's group. And one of the things that happened, man, I started reading the Bible every morning. Like I started getting up and voraciously just tearing through this book. Like I couldn't get enough of God's word. I'd grown up reading the Bible on and off and I knew some stuff in there, right? Like I could tell you, I could tell you some stories, you know, I could tell you some stuff about it. But for the first time, it was like, it was opened up to me, right? It's like, it's like, it's like going, it was like going from like a black and white silent, you know, film, like, you know, watching Charlie Chapman or something or, you know, Chaplin or whatever his name is, but, you know, watching some old school movie and then all of a sudden getting to some like, you know, VR Star Wars or something, right? I mean, it's like that, that different, you know, and I became immersed in it. I started praying every day. Like I couldn't stop talking to God. And, um, you know, God was just pouring into me. Right. And so I'm, I'm eating this stuff up. So I, I, you know, early in 2009, I'm at church one Sunday and my pastor had this sermon and I don't remember everything in this sermon, but something he said still drives so much of my life today. Um, and, uh, um, my pastor was talking and he said, look, if you're, if God is pouring into you spiritually, you've got to do something with that or you're going to become a spiritual glutton and turn into a Pharisee. That hit me so hard, right? Like I, and, and kind of like, I've had people ask me like, what does that mean? So I, I couldn't walk for two years. I've been, the last three years I've been going through this ankle thing. My right leg was almost amputated, but I was on a knee scooter for like two years, right? My right foot did not work at all. I couldn't wear a sock and shoe. Like it was nuts. Um, but one of the things that, that, that happened was dude, I packed on weight. Like I went, I'm, I'm, you know, like I was eating like I normally eat, but I wasn't exercising. I wasn't doing anything with that I was taking on, taking in. So, you know, I, I look like, you know, people are like, you're a, like, I've had people on social media that are like, you're a glutton. You shouldn't be preaching. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, I'm jacked up, you know, different, whatever. But, um, but, uh, um, but you know, if, when God is pouring into our life, we've got to pour it out into the lives of other people. True. Right. You know, because if you're, if you're, if you're one of the things like you can read this and know it and know what it says, but until you put, put it into practice so much of it doesn't come alive. When you actually start living by what the Bible says, it becomes, I don't want to just say like alive, but like it becomes real in your life in a way it never was before. You know, um, when you're, when your parent tells you, Hey, don't touch the burner, it's hot. It's going to burn you. You know, as a little kid, you're, 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 you want to do what your parents tell you not to. Right. right. So I, this has happened to me, it happened to, you know, other people, you know, your parents are telling you don't touch the burner. It's hot. You're going to get burned. You know, once you touch it that first time, all of a sudden you have this radically different understanding of it. And that's what happens when we pour out what God's pouring into us. That's what happens when we put into practice what's in the Bible. It goes from being this thing where you you understand that, hey, I need to live by faith. But when you start living by faith, it's like, oh my gosh, it's it's like just a game changer, right? It's like reading about someone who won the lottery in their life and how it's changed versus the experience the person who actually won the lottery has, right, right? Right, So 
So it's, you know, God didn't intend for this to just be a book that we just like, hey, this is cool, cool stories, man. I got my private relationship with God where I read this and yeah, no, man, that's not what God's looking for at all, right? He wants us to live this thing out. And so when I heard that from that pastor, you know, it made so much sense because a person that that's getting God pouring into them, but isn't applying it, isn't pouring it out, isn't putting into practice what they're reading in here, you're going to become a spiritual glutton and turn into a Pharisee. Right. right. There's, there's truth there. Right. I don't got a verse that says exactly that, but there's a truth there. Right. And so when I heard that, man, that hit me at the time I was looking for a job. I'd been a mechanic about five or six years at that point. And so I, um, and so I started just praying like God, you know, I started, I started praying and I really felt like God wanted me to not just get a job, but to do something that would allow me to pour out what he was pouring into me, right? To pour into the lives of the others. So I'm praying about that, right? I'm praying right. like, you know, what do you want me to do? Where can I do that? And, and I told you, you know, I was reading through the Bible real voraciously. Like, I mean, I was just just eating it up. I'm at this point right now where sometimes I'll open it up. I'll read three verses and then I'll think about those three verses for the next week and a half, right? Right. And like, it's different. I but got time, two verses man, in my mind right now to sum up everything you just said, by the way. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Jump in, man. I want to hear this. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So James chapter one, verses 22 through 26, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers oh, only. Yeah. Okay. So that just kind of sums up what you yeah. literally just said about actually yeah. applying this Bible to your life. The Bible is telling you, Hey, don't just read this. Don't just hear this gospel. Be doers of it. Don't just be hearers only. And then here's the catch. Here's what happens. You got to continue reading. Here's what happens if you don't do that. If you're only or hearers of the word and not doers of the word, you open yourself open to be deceived. Yeah. So it says be, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. So if you don't apply this thing to your life, <laughs> I see you cooking over there. <laughs> well, no, I bet I, you know, here's the thing when, and that's probably where that, where that pastor actually got that from. Again, this was, this was years ago. That right. sermon's not, not saved anywhere. He was going through the book of James when I, when I started yeah. that church. So that's probably actually where he got that, that idea from. Right. That that's actually probably. Yeah. Yeah, man. So you apply this thing here. It, it all comes together. Y'all it all comes together. When you practice something, right? If you're a basketball player, you're practicing uh, to get better at your jump shot. You're practicing, okay? So being a doer of the word, <laughs> yeah. it's like practicing righteousness when you're applying this Bible to your life. And the more you practice, the better you become at something, right? So the more you practice sin, the better you become at sinning. The more you practice righteousness, the better you become at righteousness. You start to grow muscles in these areas in your life. Just like if you sin yeah. often, you develop these muscles that cause you to get better at sinning. There are some criminals that are a lot different than the ones just hit up the 7-Eleven down the street. I'm just saying there are different levels to everything we do in this life. And, and it's the same way when we're in this thing called righteousness. Now it's important to note it is not by our works. It is by our faith in Jesus Christ, yeah. the Holy spirit that is going to direct our path in that righteousness. So that way we understand that 
we have to follow the spirit of God, that Holy Spirit, to get that direction we need to go. When you follow yourself, you follow that sinful nature that you were born in. But when you follow Christ, you are born again. You are a new creature. You are a new creation. And yeah. you have to renew your mind. What he said earlier was about when he was um, repenting for his sin over and over again, he was trying to do that. But he had yeah. to renew his mind in a place where now it's not about sinning over and over again, making a mistake, I sinned again. Now it's like, no, I have a different mindset on this thing called sin. Now I have fully uh, embraced and accepted what Jesus did against the power yeah. of sin. I have a new mindset that understands that sin does not have any power over me. There are so many people um, that struggle with sin. Why are you struggling with the in, the in the in the way of you can't get out of the situation? Let me explain something to y'all. There's a difference between temptation and sin. And if you don't hear nothing from this podcast, I need you to know the difference. The difference between temptation and sin. Temptation is the opportunity presents itself. Sin is you take the opportunity and run with it. Yeah. So when temptation presents itself, I'm 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 gonna let you get it. Let me get this one off really quick. So when temptation presents itself to you, you it's normal. Okay? That is completely normal. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. To me, that's saying it's normal. Okay? It's normal to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted 40 days and 40 nights with Satan in the desert. He was tempted, okay? That is normal to be tempted. But you got to continue reading where it says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also, and here's where people forget, he will also provide a way out that you can endure. In some translations, it says escape. So when he creates this opportunity for you to escape, you have to seek his presence to get out of that sense. When you're tempted, seek God, okay? Yeah. That's the key. That's the key. When you feel like I'm struggling with something, go to God fast. Pray about it. Really go to his presence, and he will <laughs> deliver you from it. Because people don't escape from situations they got under control. They escape from situations that is beyond their control. They yeah. can't do it. They need help. Yeah. And that's the Holy well, Spirit. And what is it? I got people think is okay so we're gonna give in like no one's gonna be perfect you're gonna give in to temptation in in your life it's gonna happen even when the apostle paul in romans said in romans 7 said the things that i don't want to do i do those things right Mm -hmm. i don't do what i know i should i do i you know and 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 i love he says oh and 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 i picture the way that he said this like he didn't Mm -hmm. say a wretched man that i am i picture him saying oh wretched man that i am who can deliver me from this body of death? Like this heartbroken plea, right? He doesn't want to continue to do those things that he does, right? And he goes on and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Exactly. And the reality is as believers, when we become saved, Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 is such a fantastic verse, right? It says, it says, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, mm-hmm. to be become sin for us not just to take on our sin but to become sin for us so that we can become Mm -hmm. the righteousness of god so i talk to so many people that are like chris i'm i feel dirty guilty ashamed because i'm struggling with the sin i keep trying to 
clean myself up so I can get close to God. I'm like, dude, you've already failed. Right. I'm like, you are doing it wrong. God, when you're saved, God doesn't look at you as a guilty sinner who's unrighteousness, right? Right. He might see you as a disobedient child, right? But he's not, he is not, you're not under, you're no longer under the guilt, the the, the wrath, the condemnation of God. Right. Now he's a loving parent that says, hey, this doesn't make you unrighteous with me. You're righteous. You have the righteousness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You didn't earn it. You can't unearn it. I want to help you get out of that. And that's why one of my favorite verses, I talk about this all the time, Hebrews 4.16. So in 4.15, it says Jesus was tempted in all the ways we were, yet he was without sin. So he understands our weakness. And then it goes on talking about our sin struggle and says, therefore, in light of the, it, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. Mm-hmm. It's like in what light of what was there for. Yeah. Yeah, it's you need to find out what the therefore is there for, because therefore always means in light of what we're just talking about, the response to what we're just talking about. So in light of the fact that Jesus understands our weakness, therefore, let us go boldly to the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we're struggling with sin, when we're struggling with temptation, we go boldly to God. You don't try and clean yourself up to get close to God. When you are struggling with sin, you get close to God and he cleans you up. Second Corinthians three talks about how, as we spend time in the presence of God, he cleans us up. He makes us more like Jesus. He makes us a reflection of his glory, right? I had this guy one time named Luke that DM me two years ago, right? DMs me. He's like, man, I am however old, 30 or something. He goes, I've been struggling with porn for the last 15 years. It is this multi-time a day habit. I can't quit. I want to get close to God no matter how hard I try. I can't stop. And we talked about Hebrews 4.16. You know, we talked about Philippians 2.12 and 13. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you, giving you the desire and the ability to do the things that please him. God mm-hmm. works in. So when it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's not say work to earn your, you right. work out the salvation you already have. Now, here's the thing. My sin, because I'm saved, doesn't make me like separated from God, but it's going to trash my life. It's going to dishonor God. I need to look at my sin and go, God, if you don't help me with this, it's going to wreck my life. I need it. I hear so many people that are like, I'm never going back to that. You know, I'm never going back to drinking. I'm never going back to, you know, running around. I'm never going back to whatever. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the Bible tells us when we think we're the strongest, that's when, the, when we're the weakest, right? If you are adamant that you're never going to go back, that you can't go man, you're, you're probably going to fall. Right. And so we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because the possibility of going back to who I was, like I'm free from that, but those temptations still come back. I have to realize if I give into those temptations, what it's going to do to my life and how it's going to wreck me. And when I do that, when I draw close to God and like, God, I can't do this on my own. When you are tempted to sin, when you fail and are giving into sin after you've sinned, Keep going boldly to God. It doesn't say that there's this throne of wrath, guilt, and judgment, and God's going to squash you. It says go boldly to mm-hmm. the throne of grace. Grace means you're getting something you don't deserve. And that's what I talked about with Luke. I was like, man, right. stop hiding from God. Run to him continually. And and, and it's not like a, you're physically getting up and running, but you're approaching the throne of God. He messaged me like a month later. He said, Chris, I stopped hiding from God. I started running to him every time I was struggling and I'm free from porn. Like a month of just continue. God, freedom from that, right? Yeah. It was this thing that happened in the span of a month. Two years later, he's now married. He's been free from that for years. Like, and God just completely delivered him, but he had to stop trying to free himself. He had to stop trying to overcome his sin on his own. 
he had to let God do it in him because he couldn't do it on his own. So that's so true, man. And I think when people realize that it's not their strength, it's the strength yeah. that comes from the Lord that helps them to get delivered, then we'd be better Amen. off. That's what it's all about yeah. in a nutshell. It's all about what Jesus is going to do in your life. Because look, when I think about it, when people appear to be weak, God shows up and then they appear to be strong. Yeah. Because it's not them that makes the situation look like, oh, you're just so strong and confident. Yeah. It's their faith in God. So when God yeah. shows up, that's where he gets his glory. And so um, even when I think about, uh, what is it, uh, Gideon, the battle, 300, okay? <laughs> I like to say the great battle of the 300. Against, against 150,000. Exactly, because 150,000. Here's the context people got to understand. He didn't just have 300 to work with, okay? God told him to send people away from the situation for a reason. Yeah. And the reason was because if they were to win and become victorious in that battle with the numbers that he had, they would have boasted and said that they did it and their strength, yeah. and their power, they're victorious because they fight well and they train to be super soldiers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and if you strip them down to just the 300, guess who gets all the glory? God does. Because there ain't no way, no shape or form, that 300 people went out and became victorious, victorious in the way they did. Yeah. So they understood it was God on their side. Yeah. It, it was impossible for them to win on their own. There's never been a battle in the history of the world where a, a group that small has overcome a group that big. Now, right. there was Leonidas. You know, there's the movie. What is it? 300. Mm -hmm. You know, but they got their butt whooped. They ended up getting defeated, right? Like, they couldn't do it. They were in a little... But this was like God just massacred the enemy, and they all survived, right? God... Right intervened and yeah and and that's why that's why like this is why and and this is one of my kind of life verses this drives so much what i do matthew 5 16 let your jesus said let your light shine before men so they see your good deeds and mm -hmm. glorify your father who's in heaven god you know in the next chapter he said don't do things you know good deeds in order in order to be seen by other people he was he was telling us like you want you want people you know you should not do things. So, you know, <laughs> he's talking about the hearts of men. That's what he's yes, talking about. Yeah. What is your I heart posture in that yeah. situation? And, and so we're not supposed to like go out and do things just to get glory for ourselves, right? Because if you do, you got your reward. But he's telling us, look, you need to talk about the things that have happened in your life because of me. Like talk about the things you've done in and through me. Talk about the things I've done in and through you as a way to glorify God, right? Like he wants us to use our stories to glorify God. And so I do that to help other people learn to live by faith and follow Jesus. I share my stories because my life was a train wreck for 30 years. Once I started following Jesus, like, holy cow, I'm going to go back to now we got this dude, but no, but it was that man that was good. And I think that's stuff people need to hear. But yeah. so I, I had been, you know, I shared this stuff because surrender to God is so important because it made the difference in my life was putting my faith in Jesus. And I didn't get saved because I surrendered. Like I surrendered as a result of my faith. It was, it was a result of my salvation. Once I was saved, once I put my faith in Jesus, I was actually able to surrender to God for the first time. And so, Man. you know, I'd heard this, this, yeah. I, I don't was, think people caught what you just said. Uh, okay. So let me explain it like this to surrender is a process. Okay. Yes. Because when people get saved, 
they're trying to do this thing that the, the Holy Spirit is teaching them. But you get to this crossroad when you realize you were still trying to do it as well. But when yeah. you surrender, you fully submit your life and give it to God and allow God to have his way with you. You you really, truly give your life to Christ in a way where, you know how people say God first? No, he's yeah. truly first in your life in the yeah. way you think, the way you process information, and the way you handle problems in every area of your life. You put God in the front and center of the situation. Yeah. And that's full surrender because he's going to ask you to do some things that you don't feel comfortable with. He's going to ask you, yeah. he's going to ask you to do some things. You like, ah, that ain't me, but he knows the number on your head, which means he knows you perfectly. He knows yeah. who you are to the very, uh, fundamental functions of your DNA. So when he's asking you to do something, he's not taking an educated guess. <laughs> He knows exactly <laughs> yeah. that you're capable of, um, even before we yeah. do. And so being in full surrender will help you get to those levels that God wants to take you to because you're going to be obedient um, and offer your life as a living sacrifice to him. Yeah. You know, I get people all the time that are like, what does it mean to surrender? And like, look, here's really when I look at surrender, people are like, I want to surrender. I don't know how. I don't know what it looks like. It means you are making a habit of saying yes to God. It's, it's your, you're saying, God, my life is yours. And it's not just saying that my life is yours. You're making a decision then and there that from now on, yeah. you're going to say yes to God. I, that I yes to this, God. This, That's it. The yes to God. My, my, my wife, my pastor's wife, I almost said my wife's pastor, my pastor's <laughs> wife, one of the, like she counsels kids and stuff. And so one of the things she said, she, she's like, look, you know, she works with teenagers. She's like, you got to decide before you go on that date, that you're not going to even be in the position where you're in the back seat for something to happen. Because if you're waiting to that point to decide whether or not you're going to give in to sin, you're going to you're, you're going to give in to sin, right? You have to make the decision in advance. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's like I I was, you know, it's like it's like I, you know, me and my wife and other couples we know. There's there's people that get married and they're thinking, well, divorce could be an option one day. Me and my wife decided, like other couples I know, when they get married, they're not even thinking that divorce is an option. So it changes the way that they do everything in the relationship. Surrender to God means when you get saved, you're making this decision that, God, my life is yours. Going forward, I'm going to say yes to you no matter what I think or feel or see. It does not matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what anyone is saying. If you tell me to do something, if I find something in your word and my life is different, I'm going to respond in obedience no matter what. And it doesn't mean you're always perfect at it. Like God can say, here's what I want from you. And it's a process to get to the point of, but, you know, even saying, God, okay, so you've asked me to do this thing. Like I'm going to get to my, what God asked me to do, right. you know, but like, it, it, but it's like, you're saying, I'm going to say yes to God, no matter what, you know? And so I had... I'm going to go back to my story because this is just where surrender really started to show up. So I was, I'd been at church, you know, you know, I knew God wanted me to kind of do something, not just to get a job, um, but to find something that would let me pour out what God was pouring into me. And um, I'd finished reading, um, um, uh, or I, I had, uh, I was reading in Ephesians and I got to Ephesians 4.28 and it was one of the most life-changing, profound verses ever. Ephesians 4.28 says, let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, that which is good so that he can have something to give to him who has need. 
Now, because of the kind of person that I'd been before that man, that pierced my heart. It absolutely crushed me because I had been such a bad liar and such a thief. And so I started praying and I just like, I didn't hear the audible voice of God at this point or anything, but I felt in my gut, I had this idea that I couldn't shake. Like it was something like I'd never had an experience like this before, but to start fixing cars for people for free as my full-time job and to never ask anybody for money. And I'm like, oh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever thought of. Right. I'm like, this is idiotic. I'm like, there's no way, right. you know, this, 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 you know, but the more I prayed about it, the more I realized, Hey, this is not for me. This is from God. And in, in John 10, Jesus talks about how his sheep will not just hear his voice, but they'll know that it's him speaking. I get people all the time. They're like, how do I hear from God? I'm like, man, you got to spend time with him. You got to listen. And you've got to respond in obedience because when you perpetually respond in disobedience, it becomes really hard for you to hear God, right? When you respond in obedience, you're walking away from intimacy with God. You know, if my wife called me on, let's, you know, called me on the phone and my caller ID wasn't working. Let's say she calls me from some other number. It shows up as potential spam on my thing. As soon as I picked up and I was like, hello. And she said, you know, hi to me. I wouldn't have to ask who is this? I wouldn't have to be like, you know, I would know right away that this is my wife and I would engage in a conversation with her. When you are surrendered to God and walking in obedience with him, you're going to recognize how God is speaking to you when he's speaking to you, you know? And so when I read that verse, like God, the primary way that God speaks to us is through the word of God. He speaks to us in other ways, but the primary way that God speaks to us is through one of these guys right here. Right. And so I, and I'm held up a Bible if someone heard it and didn't see it, but you know, the, the primary way that God speaks to us is through the Bible. And so he spoke to me through the Bible, through what my pastor taught from the Bible, through what I read. And so I'm sitting here kind of freaking out and I'm like, okay, so I got a wife and three kids. I got bills, groceries, clothes to buy, school supplies. I'm like, I'm like, this is like dumb, right? Like, how am I going to take care of my family if I'm not getting paid? Because like one of the things that I knew was that I was never allowed to ask anybody for money ever. I wasn't supposed to go to a church and be like, hey, do y'all want to support the ministry I'm doing? Do you, you know, God really was like, you're going to rely on me. And I'm like, this is stupid, right? So I told you I was real voraciously reading through the Bible. So I got done with Ephesians and I started reading the book of Matthew. And, and I love the timing of God. So often when you're following God, when you're really following Jesus, he's going to direct where you end up in the Bible, right? It's not up to you to, like, you, you're going to find out, you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I was supposed to be reading for this particular time, this particular season, this particular moment in my life. And so I'm struggling with this. Well, how do I pay for everything? And I got to Matthew chapter six and Jesus talks about, you know, the, 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 the sparrows and the birds. He said, if you look mm. at, the, 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 the sparrows, he said, they don't do anything and your father in heaven takes care of them and you are so much more valuable than them. If you look at the lilies in the valley, they are clothed more beautifully than Solomon in all of his glory. You know, don't you think your heavenly father will take care of you? And then in verse 33, he goes on and he says, therefore, and again, find out what the therefore is there for, right? Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God was telling me, like, because he called me to do this thing as a way to share his love with other people, right? And so he's like, if you do what I'm calling you to do, I'm going to put food on your table. I'm going to make sure your needs are met. I'm going to make sure that your, your bills are paid. And, and I'm just still going, okay, this is, uh, you know, and so I decided I took my first real step of faith and talked to my wife. So me and my wife were in the living room one night. And, and when I say the scariest thing I've ever done was to tell my wife, 
I wanted to get a job where I was going to work for free and not get paid. Like, that's not an exaggeration. Like, no cap. If you're a married man, I dare you to tell your wife you want to quit your job. Or if you're looking for jobs, go get a job where you're never going to get paid. You're not going to get a paycheck. I dare you, right? So I, I tell my wife, I didn't tell her anything that had happened. I didn't tell her, you know, I was just like, hey, I think this is what God wants me to do. And she's like, hold on a minute. So she gets up, goes to the bedroom. Um, I thought she was going to get a bat or a gun or a knife or something, right? But um, but she comes back with her Bible and she goes, I want to show you what God has been telling me. She opened her Bible up to the book of Ephesians chapter four, verse 28 and read, let him who stole still no more. She read what I had read and she goes, yeah, this is what God wants you to do. God had been preparing her for that conversation. I didn't have to figure out how to get her to believe me. I didn't have to convince her. All the stuff I was worried about, I had to walk by faith into what God was telling me to do. And he worked out all the details. So many people all the time, they message me when they hear my story. And they're like, well, God wants me to start this business or that business or do whatever. But, you know, I'm waiting on him to provide all this stuff. And I'm like, that's not how we're set. A guy recently that was like, hey, I want to start a home repair business. I just need God to provide me $100,000 in a truck. Can you buy me a truck? And I'm like, that's not how this works. I'm like, this is when God calls us to do something for him. It's like the fishes and loaves, right? Disciples got, you got 5,000 men plus women and children. So imagine a crowd of 20,000 people, right? So you you got this crowd, this giant crowd. And the, the disciples were like, we got a sack lunch with, you know, two fish and seven loaves, right? Like, right. what? what's up, Jesus? They gave it to Jesus. He blessed it, gave it back to them. And as they passed it out, it continued to multiply. Wow. Right? That's deep. And, and that's what, that's, it's what, it's in the Bible. That's what, right? that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, you know, that's deep. And, like, people and, have and to figure out how to apply that to their lives because he's still yeah. the same guy yesterday, today, and forever. And so I get people that are like, hey, man, I want to start this homeless ministry. I just need a building and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, so you don't have that yet. Walk by faith in what God is telling you. I'm like, you got 20 bucks to go make some sack lunches to take to homeless people downtown. I'm like, can you do that? I mean, for 20 bucks, you can make some PB&Js, buy some socks. If you ever do homeless ministry, take socks. Homeless people always need socks. It's like the number one thing, no matter where you are, bring socks, right? But you can go buy you, oh, maybe not a pack of socks that are expensive, but if you got 20 bucks, you can buy some paper sacks, so, uh, you know, a loaf of bread, peanut butter and jelly and some chips and bottles of water and go hand it out, right? And the thing is, is you take just what, what God has given you, do what you can for who you can with what you have and God will multiply. And that's what happened to me, right? And so I'm like, my wife gives me her blessing, right? And 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 so I'm like, I'm like, okay, so this is still the dumbest idea ever, right? And and I'm I, and I'm going, I'm going, I'm still going, maybe this isn't God. Maybe this is me. Maybe I'm trying to atone for my past. Maybe it's, you know, not really God. Maybe this is all coincidental. And I had a Gideon moment, right? Uh, you know, I hear a lot of people that are like, I wish God would give me a sign or whatever. And you look at, you know, I talk to a lot of people and and um and and some people, it's like you look at the pattern in their life and 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 it's like, okay, you just want a sign from God. You're saying that so that you can procrastinate and do nothing. But I think God knows who's going to be faithful, right? I think um, he's looking at us going, if you're going to be faithful, I'm going to give you what you need to follow me. And so at this point, like, I'm really a brand new Christian. I'm scared of doing the wrong thing because for 30 years I had done schizophrenic Christianity. Like I tried to, and, and so I'm just like, God, if this is really you, I'm going to obey. My life is surrendered to God. I'm like, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what you want. I'm just not sure that it's you and not me trying to make up for my past. Mm -hmm. And so not long after that, I get a phone call from this guy, Mark Swartz. Um, so this is a story in my book. I have a book where I write all this stuff down. If you read my book, you'll notice the names 
that I give when I talk about these stories is different from what I wrote in my book. In the book, I had to change like all the names. I, I just picked random names, um, <laughs> you know, for for confidentiality or whatever. But when and, and like when you're writing a story, you kind of have to. Right. Um, when I tell the story, so if you hear me using a different name when I'm telling the story from what you read in my book, that's why I use the names that I remember, the actual names of the people when I tell these things because I can't, I just can't do it in print. Right. So anyway, is this guy Mark Swartz, pastor at the Gospel Lighthouse Church, little Pentecostal country church calls me up he's like hey we got this guy named eric goes to our church his car broke down can you go look at it and i'm like yeah sure cool so i went and looked at, at uh, eric's car now he'd been out of work for a couple of months because he'd thrown a rod in his engine for those of you that don't know what that means it's what we call catastrophic engine failure which means you don't fix the engine you replace it because you could get it fixed but it would cost about 10 times more to fix it than to buy a new engine mm-hmm. um you know, it's just, there's no reason to fix an engine with a, with a thrown rod, unless you've got like some classic engine out of like, you know, a 1925 Ford or something like that. Fix that. You can't get those anymore. But this was a 19, you know, mid nineties, uh, Chevy Cavalier thing was a turd, but whatever it was what he had. And, and he told me though, before he threw before his engine blew out, his transmission had been slipping and his power steering pump and his alternator had also been going out. So this, Uh-oh. Okay. Get to the good part. Sorry Get to the this good guy, part. This guy. Okay, we yeah. good. So this guy needed like thousands of dollars in parts. You know, he didn't have any money. The church didn't have any money. No one had any money. And um, and so like I left. I'm like, I, I can't help this guy. Three days later, my brother called me. Now, my brother hadn't spoken to in a year because we've had a very tumultuous relationship over the years. Um, um he was a very different kind of bad than I was and not worse than I had been just different. Like he was really into um, like drugs and things like that, you know, dealing drugs. And so um, I really, there was just a lot of history with, with me and him. And so we hadn't talked in like a year. And so um, he, uh, he calls me up and he goes, look, I'm, I'm fixing to move. He goes, somebody abandoned a car in my driveway six months ago and I've got to get it moved. He goes, it doesn't have a title of things, you know, beat up. You can't put it on the road, but if you can use it for parts, you can have it. It was a mid 1990s Chevy Beretta, which had the same engine as the Chevy Cavalier. It was one or the other, like it was a a Beretta and a Cavalier, but he had all the parts I needed to fix Eric's car. Like I got all that stuff for free and the odds of that happening. It's like winning the lottery. People don't, you don't have an old janky ghetto busted car like that and somebody give you the exact a car that has the exact same powertrain in it. Like it just does not happen, right? And so for me, that was God taking a megaphone going, yes, this is what I want you to do, right? And so I'm like, I'm like, all right, let's go. And so, you know, I fixed Eric's car. And at the time I really thought, I'm gonna win a bunch of people to Jesus, right? And I'm like, new. No to actually following Jesus. And I did lead people to Jesus. Like I saw some salvation. I'm going to talk a little bit because uh, people always ask, like, how did you pay bills and make money? I'm going to talk about that just a little bit because it, it's exciting, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, what's more exciting is seeing people's lives eternally change. People want to see miracles, right? I think miracles happen. I think God miraculously heals people. Dead get raised, stuff happens. But the greatest miracle that there possibly ever is is somebody who's on their way to hell getting saved and having their eternal destiny changed. Because I tell you what, somebody would I, would, I would rather see somebody who is paralyzed, stay paralyzed and get into heaven, than see that person get unparalyzed and walk into hell, right? 
I mean, what's what what's more important, right? The right. the temporary thing or the eternal. So I'm gonna share some some temporary stuff, the way God made this thing kind of work, because it's like, dude. Um, so I one of the things like I never did, there was never a point where I asked anybody for money. There was never a time where I was like, hey, you gotta pay XYZ for doing this job, right? Um Parts was was a little different. Like for labor, it was always free. On parts, it was kind of like on a case by case thing. It was like if you got money to buy your own parts, you know, you may not be able to afford a shop. But like I have a commercial account at a, at a at a parts store, so I can buy the parts at a super reduced rate. Usually, usually most um most shops they're going to charge what they call you have a couple prices on on a part. You have a shop's price that they pay, which like if you walk in and buy an alternator you know, from O'Reilly, it might cost you, you know, 150 bucks. Me as a shop, it might cost me like a hundred or 90. Well, there's what they call a list price on that. So if you ever look at your receipt, it's going to have the cost plus list. List is what they're suggesting the resale value of it is. So you might walk in and buy an alternator for 150, but the list price on it is like 215. And so, you know, someone going to a shop, they're going to play pay list plus labor, right? So if I'm doing the work, I'm charging my cost for the part plus, you know, free labor. Um, if someone did not have the money, my church would actually step up a lot of times and buy parts for people, or I would have money to buy parts for people like, oh, oh you know, it worked out. Um, but um, one of the things that happened, I never charged anybody. I never asked for money, but I would have people that would feel compelled to like, give me donations, right? They were like, dude, you replaced my engine. Here's 10 bucks. Like I never almost ever made really any money off that. It was always like, eat a small, like, you know, right. I'm working for broke people. Right. Right. And, and, it's something, and, and, but it's a yeah. lot to them still because if they're yeah. broke, it's a lot. Well, yeah. And, and that, and, and, and so I had made it a point. I'm like, I'm never going to ask for money or accept money. And people's kept like being insistent. And God was like, look, just if someone is insistent on giving you money, take it. It's one of the ways I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. And so that never really amounted to much. Um, there was a few times it did, but that typically would end up being around like two to $300 a month. Like that's what I averaged. Um, I mean, I wasn't making any kind of real living off of that. It helped me pay for like gas and supplies and things like that, that I needed, um, um, to, uh, you know, to, to get going. But, um, yeah, I never asked anybody for money, but the way that God took care of us, man, you know, we got that little bit coming in. And so I've been running that business for a couple of months and me and my wife both felt like God was telling her to leave her job. It was a really hostile environment. She was an assistant manager at a convenience store and um, the, the company like got bought and her manager, like the guy that was the manager was driving over an hour each day. Um, she kept getting more and more of his work dumped on her. Um, there was just a lot of really not good things going on and we were just praying about it. And we really felt like God saying, look, this is time for her to leave, right? Now, she did not have another job lined up. She didn't have a job she had applied for. Um, she, you know, did not, she'd had another job she'd been kind of looking at, but there was nothing that on the radar for, for work. And so she put her notice in and left, right? We both really, again, this is, you, you, you follow in obedience to God and you learn to hear the voice of God. And so we felt like this is what God was telling us to do. So, so she leaves. And, um, that was really the bulk of our income was her job. And so, uh, she left, we have no money coming in except for the, you know, 250 bucks average I get coming in every month. And the first of the next month rolled around and our rent was like 650. Mm. We didn't have it when the first showed up. I think we had $327 in the bank or something like that. It was really like about half of what we needed. 
and and we're like, what do we do? Because we've got no money coming in. And so I'm praying about it. She's praying about it. And and I felt like God just saying, like, write a check. And I'm like, I can't cover check. And God was like, I can. I and so now, first of all, I I, I gotta I gotta give this disclaimer. I would never tell anybody to write a check you can't cover. No, it's but you gotta obey God, right? And so I'm going, this is like what and I'm like, what, right? But right. I've seen I've I've been listening to God, I've been following him, you know, it's been working out. And, um, and so I told my wife, I'm like, I think God wants us. And she's like to write a check. I'm like, all right, let's go. You know? And so I write this check again, that I can't cover that. I believe God is promising that he can cover. I take it to my landlord. And as I'm leaving his house, I get a phone call from this guy named Morris. And he's like, Hey, I work on this ranch. I mean, like I hand this check off and leave and get a phone call. I'm not even back to my car yet. Wow. And he's like, my boss has these two vehicles that are broke down and he wants you to fix. And we're going to pay you like your shop and you're not allowed to not take money for it. And I'm like, oh, and so, so I, I fix these two vehicles and, um, and, uh, you know, get paid for it. And there was some things that happened there that really tripped me out because when I got paid, like the check I wrote, my, my landlord had gotten delayed and did not hit my bank until after I got paid from that job, like, and got money for that. You know, and and so I had I ended up with enough money to co- not just cover that rent check, but like pay all our bills, get completely caught up, and stock up on groceries. Like I mean, we dude, we like got fat groceries. Wow. Man. I mean, it was like it was like oh, you know, and, <laughs> that's amazing. And, and you know, and there's there's I, there was three times that I ran that business. Three times in the time I was doing that, it I ran that for two and a half years full time. I had some health stuff that caused me to like forced me out of that, forced me to leave, um, you know, and God kind of moved my life in another direction. I still continued to do that part-time um, until March of this year. March of this year is when I officially, God was like, dude, you got to fit, stop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I continued to do that part-time for years and years and years. Like it was something I never stopped doing. But um, in the two and a half years I ran that for a job, like we always had what we needed. God always took care of us. And there was only three times where I got like big chunks of money from people going, I'm going to pay you for what you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, and the next month it was kind of the same thing. There was a construction company in another state that had heard about me and they were like, dude, we're going to Ford want $6,000 to, to fix this truck. We're going to pay you 3000 if you drive over here and fix it. And, 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 uh, and actually what was so cool about that. So it was in Louisiana. My sister lived there. I hadn't seen my sister in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids hadn't seen their aunt. They love, you know, they love my sister. And so, um, it was, uh, it was, they had told me what the, the truck was, your make model engine size and all that. I bought the parts, like it's a, a about a seven hour drive from where I live. So I got the parts. I was going to drive over there, fix it, drive back the next day. Right. And I did, and this was really cool. Um, God did something that I didn't even know I needed. So at the time when you fix cars for people for free, man, and that's your job, like they come out of the woodwork, man. Like it's, it's everybody's like, dude, fix my car. Right. And so at the time I was working like a slow week for me was 70 hours. I was working up to 90 hours every week. Like I was working, you know, Monday through Sunday, dude, I was, I was, I just was like, I got to keep going. And it was like, there was just this never ending stream of people were like, we need help. And so, you know, I would go to church on Sunday and then in the, you know, you know, you know, from about noon until, until like, you know, late evening, I'd be working. I mean, I was working like early in the morning to late at night, seven days a week, you know? And so I get to, to, to Louisiana, I look at this truck and they had told me 
it was, it, it's a diesel truck. And so they told me it was a 7.3, right? Power stroke wasn't a 7.3. It was a 6.0 at the time. And so like I had, I had completely the wrong parts and every, every, every auto, like I was able to return those. I was going to get the ones I needed. Every auto parts store there was like, man, they're out of stock. They're on back order. It's going to, because I needed like some fuel injectors and a valve cover gasket. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and I think I needed an EGR. I, there was stuff, but they're like, that stuff's on back order. It took me like five or six days to get all the parts I needed. And so basically I was there at my sister's for a week. I got this like, you know, basically a vacation. And what I didn't realize, I read this thing in the Bible at that point where, um, um, what's Judas, you know, who held the money bag was complaining because this woman had poured, uh, this perfume, you know, on Jesus feet before his burial. And he's like, man, we could have sold it and given the money to the poor. That's like a year's worth of wages. And, and, and Jesus is like, man, you got the poor with you always. Right. And, 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 and God hit me with, there's only so much I can do. Like I was doing too much. And he was like, you got to slow down, bro. Well, he didn't, God didn't call me bro, but, but you know, my, my, my slang, my vernacular, but you know, God really impressed on me that I was doing too much and I had to slow down. And so I went from, I went from seven days a week, crazy hours. I set up, you know, you know, Monday through Friday hours. And I, I went to where I would work a couple hours on Saturday mornings if there was something that I needed to wrap up. But Saturday and Sunday, man, that was like my wife and kids time, right? And mm-hmm. I really, God was like, dude, you got to pour into your family. And so I really did make pouring into my family like this huge priority in my life. You know, my kids, we have this thing, they called it little Bible time. Because every morning, like every morning, Dude, we'd get up and we'd we'd crack one of these things open. We'd open the Bible. I would sit down. I would read the Bible with my kids. I would pray with my kids. You know, my wife, you know, she was involved with the the, the Bible. And so pouring into and discipling my family became one of the, the number one. It was like the number one priority after my relationship with God ahead of this ministry that God had called me to. Right. Mm-hmm. And that changed so much. So that was something that I really needed. So I went back to, to Texas um, after being very, very, very refreshed. And, um, and, and the next month, my wife got this job as a property manager and these, these people owned an apartment complex. They also owned in another part of town, some, uh, townhomes and some houses throughout, uh, the town we live in. And it, part of her job, she was required to live on site at the apartments. And so the people that she worked for, in addition to her salary, like gave us an apartment, the water was included and they also paid our most of our electricity bill every month like our electricity bill there at the time was around 130 to 150 a month like they paid 110 dollars every month wow. they just automatically so it was like all of a sudden god provide like re- alleviated this massive financial burden that we had and and people were like oh you're leeching off your wife to do i'm like dude my wife was ecstatic about what I was doing. My wife, this was not like a me, you know, playing at some things. So, you know, and, and Mucha, it wasn't wife, a like, hobby was, for you. No, this was, this was, this was, this was a calling. It was a ministry. And my wife was on, my wife supports the stuff that I do because my wife saw the person that I was before Jesus. She saw the person that I've become since Jesus. And that's the person that she wants. She doesn't want the person before I could have walked away from this stuff. I could have got a job as a mechanic paying like decent money, you know, paying our bills. Cover. She doesn't want that. She would rather have me doing this. And the thing is, 
We kept seeing God show up and provide the things that we need. Even now, like I don't work a normal job. I do online ministry for a living, right? This is where God's led me to now. I don't have stable income. I don't have regular income from social media. I don't have, there's nothing where I'm like here that I can point to and go, this is the one. Like, dude, I constantly get money from different things. Like people, there's just different ways that God takes care of me. One of it is, you know, people like the ministry that I do. I've blessed a lot of people. And so, you know, there's people that do like, but like God constantly still takes care of our needs. You know, um, God, God, um, you know, as we've lived by faith and followed Jesus, my wife supports what I'm doing because we've never, you know, been foreclosed on. We haven't lost our home. Our cars haven't been repossessed. We've had food on it. We, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Not talking about all the things that we want, but your needs will be met. And that's continually been true. And so my wife supports what I'm doing. So, you know, stuff like that happened. I had one time, um, I, I, when I, I never worked really out of a shop. I worked, it was, I did mobile auto repair and that was great because, um, you know, when you, when you are at someone's house working on their car, they hang out, they watch what you're doing and it gives you an opportunity to share the gospel, to talk to about Jesus. Like this one, this one time, this guy named Ben, right. He had this old, like 1980s Mazda weird SUV station wagon looking thing. I worked on it. And I'm sharing the gospel with them, right? I started talking about Jesus, share my story about how I'd been a slave to sin. God delivered me, radically changed me. And he's just enraptured by this because he was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. He had tried everything you can as an alcoholic to get over, right? He'd gone to, you know, Al-Anon. Um, he'd gone to, um, you know, gone to, to meetings. He'd taken medication. He'd gone to counseling. He'd done everything that people are told to do to overcome alcoholism. And he couldn't quit drinking. It was wrecking his life. And so um, eventually I had to go pick, my, I had to leave and go pick my kids up. And I was like, can we meet and talk again? He's like, yes. And then he ghosted me, right? And I know he ghosted me because he kept, I kept trying to get a hold of him to set up a time to talk again. And mm -hmm. man, it didn't, yeah, I was ghosted, right? You, you know, no response. And, and like, and like a couple months later, I'm going to the hardware store to pick something up and I ran into him. And he's like, oh, man, I've been busy and, you know, I really want to get together with you. And then he goes to me again. Right. And so like five, four, it was like four or five years later, I ran into him again. It was I think it was like right at five years. And he goes, he goes, look, man, he goes, yeah, I ghosted you. <laughs> like he admitted he ghosted me. Right. But he said, look, here's what happened. He goes a few years after I talked to you, he said, my life got to this point where my wife was going to leave me because my drinking was so bad and I was powerless against it. He said, I remembered what you said about the change in your life. And so I found a church. I started going. I heard the gospel. I gave my life to Jesus. I was freed from alcoholism and radically changed. My wife was so blown away by the change she saw in me. She was like a completely different religion. She started going to church just to support me. Then she heard the gospel, gave her life to Jesus and was radically changed. Right. I'm like, yeah, let's go fam. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm like, so I love working on cars at people's houses because it gave me an opportunity to share the guy. Now, yeah, I had some amazing opportunities, but it wasn't just because I was doing this that I had the opportunity to reach the lost with the gospel. You don't have to do some big, amazing thing, right? Like you don't have to run some crazy company that doesn't make sense to people to, to um, you know, reach the lost. I was with my daughter one time. We had, so I wear glasses. I don't wear them in videos and stuff because you see that glare. I hate that, right? right. So I, I, I am, I'm nearsighted. Everything up close is great. 
Um, I wear them for when I'm driving and stuff like that. But I needed a new pair of glasses. And so we went to this place. Um, I think it was Ibart Express in Corpus Christi. Uh, you get your glasses in like an hour. You go in with your prescription, pay them the money. They make them. An hour later, you go pick them up, right? And so me and my daughter go into this place, um, and she was about eight or nine at the time. It was my youngest daughter. And we wanted to talk to someone about Jesus. We're like, we prayed, we go in with the intent of talking to someone. I always had the intent of talking to people about Jesus, right? I always want to. Right. Um, but being intentional about what you're doing. Yes. You have to make, again, this is being surrendered, making a decision. The Bible tells me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Don't wait for the opportunity make the opportunity, right? The opportunity is there. If you got lost people around you, you've got the opportunity, right? Can I pause you right here? Because I just thought about something. Whenever you're intentional about spreading the gospel, guess what usually happens? You spread the gospel. And (laughs) (laughs) when you're not intentional about spreading the gospel, guess what usually happens? You don't spread the gospel. Uh, This is what that looks like. I'm at a restaurant. I'm eating. I have a waiter. I'm thinking, I should probably tell this waiter about Christ or at least spark the conversation about Christ. When that is my thought process before my food comes to the table, by the time I get up, me and that waiter always has a conversation about Christ. But one when, of my I'm, favorite when I'm not intentional, the conversation don't happen. So you got to be one, intentional. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things to do at restaurants is, you know, to my waiter, waitress, whatever. Hey, you know, before I eat, I usually pray for my food. Is there anything I can pray for you for when I pray for my food? Right. Great way to start. A, anyways, so so me and my daughter, we go into this place and we tried talking to this one guy about Jesus and he was not into that. He didn't want to hear it. He said some choice things in front of my eight year old daughter that I didn't appreciate. We moved on. That was it. But then the girl that like rang, you know, checked me out, you know, rang up my glasses and everything. I tried to talk to her, but the store was super busy. Like there was not time to have that kind of conversation. I brought it up a little bit and there really wasn't much of a response or anything. And so me and my daughter leave and we're like, you know, my glasses are going to be ready now. We're like, why don't we just buy her a Bible and give it to her? My glasses are ready. Mm. So we go to a Mardell Christian bookstore. Um, There's one not far from there and um, bought her a new Testament copy of the Bible, the new living translation. And so I get this message from the store. My glasses are ready. We go back. Um, I walk in there with this Bible. I have no idea how this girl is going to react, right? And again, this didn't happen when I was running the nonprofit mechanic company. I was already like, pass out. There's another point in my life. Um, you know, this this could and this could have been anybody, right? So I walk. I, I've got the Bible. I go and she's giving my glasses. I hand her this Bible, not knowing how she's going to respond, and. And like, imagine like ugly crying at the end of old yeller. Like that's what this girl started doing, right? Like she breaks down just in the middle of this busy store. And I'm just thinking, oh crud, like, I don't know how this is going to go. She tells me I've been wanting to find a Bible, but I didn't know where to get one. Mm. Mm. I had to go. And, and here's the thing, like God is always at work in the world, all around us in the lives of people to bring them to Jesus, to show them their need for Jesus, right? God is constantly doing that, the Holy Spirit. Well, when Jesus said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses, Acts 1-8, when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power and you'll be my witnesses to the world, right? Mm-hmm. When we step out in faith, you're saying, it's not about what I know. It's not about how much I know. It's about who I know and who lives inside of me. And I'm going to trust him to work through me, to do something that I can't do on my own. And see, God was at work in this girl's life. She wanted a Bible. What are the, like, I, like I carry Bibles in my car a lot of times to give out, but I don't just randomly go like, 
hey, can I give you a Bible? Like this was slight, like this was slightly different from something I normally do. This was a like an idea, like, and I didn't hear God saying, get her a Bible. I didn't feel this overwhelming Holy Spirit goosebumps, but the idea to give this girl a Bible, it was from the Holy Spirit because he knows what he's doing in her life and wanted to include me. And he knows, and I think this is important, right? Not sure. to, not to to my horn. He knows who's going to obey. He knows who's going to respond. And so he, when you're living surrendered in obedience to God, he's going to put you in situations to be obedient. He mm -hmm. rewards your obedience with more opportunities to be obedient. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible please God. to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, right? I'm constantly seeking him through like to reach the lost with the gospel. And he rewards that by giving me these amazing things. Right. So I give this girl the Bible. I leave. We don't have a chance to talk because the store is still crazy busy. Right. That whole interaction is like 45 seconds. I leave a few months later. I had to go back. It was like four months later. I had to go back and get some work done on my glasses and it was slower. It wasn't as busy. That same girl was working there. And she's like, man, she goes, I started reading the Bible. I started going to church. My life is radically different and I'm following Jesus. Amen. Right. Amen. Like, and, and, and yeah, I've seen God do some crazy, amazing things when I ran that nonprofit mechanic company, but I've also seen him do crazy, amazing things when I am just living as a regular average dude following Jesus, right? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will transform you into someone I used to bring people to me. It's exactly what happened in my life, right? I, I, I constantly saw God enable me to do the things that I've been doing. And so, um, and so, um, hold on one second. Sorry. This is deep y'all because it's so real. Um, how God can really use anybody. He's looking for the yes. He's looking for that person that's willing to literally just have faith and be obedient. And so, um, yeah. And so, um, I, uh, you know, kind of some other stuff that happened to that business. Cause dude, it was just cool. What I saw God do with that, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about the things like how God provided because people want to know, right? Like people ask me that one of the things that had happened was, is, you know, I was working out of my car, so I didn't have like a shop or anything. And, um, and, um, uh, my church called me up one time and they're like, Hey, we've got this woman that goes to our church. The rear end in her, her Jeep is out in your place. Just got a Jeep Grand Cherokee. When you talk about the rear end, I, I wrote about this in my book and people are like, you can't write rear end. I'm like, that's the name of the part, right? They're like, Oh, it sounds sexual. I'm like, dude, I can't. I'm like, it's the name of the part of a vehicle, really? right? So if, you, if your vehicle is a rear, yeah, I had people that's one of those, like, really, really, that's what we're doing here. I had, yeah, I, had, I have had people that are hung up on that. They're like, well, you need to call it by a different name. I'm like, I can't. I'm like, it's like, if you told me to call the battery, like the, uh, you know, the, 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 the stationary, um, you know, electric holding unit, I'm like, it's a freaking battery. I'm like the rear end is a rear end it's right. it's it's multiple things right it's your axle your differential this, your hubs like it's the rear end right there's not a, this is but, not a donkey okay this is not a donkey yes, i'm not talking <laughs> i'm not talking about anyways but but it's it's the part of the rear end in a vehicle it's the part in the back that uh like if you have a rear wheel drive, you know your tires it's what your tires bolt to it's what it's got this big gear box in the back and it's what makes your vehicle go like your your 
your you have a shaft that goes between your transmission to your rear end that makes your vehicle go. If your rear end breaks, your vehicle doesn't go. It sits there, right? And so um, one of the things where I live is there's sugar sand everywhere. Like I live on the coast. And so uh, most people's driveways are sugar sand. They have to get treated or something like that. Sugar sand is like super soft. It's like what's at the beach. And so um, I'd gone over to this woman's house and there's no way safely to do this at her place. If you change your rear end and you don't have a lift, basically you've got to unbolt it from the vehicle, then jack the back of the vehicle way up and support it really, really well. You've got to have hard, flat, level ground because if you don't, the vehicle can fall on top of you and you die. I don't want that. And so I told uh, Gaines, he was the pastor at this church that had direct me to this woman. I'm like, I don't have a place to do this. I can't do it at the apartment that I'm living at. And she doesn't. And he's like, well, you could do it in the parking lot at the church. And so the church that I go to, like, dude, it's this big, beautiful church, you know, you know, um, uh, you know, it, beautiful building. Right. And so we've got um, it's sitting on an intersection of um, of um, Enterprise and and, uh, and Live Oak Street. And so I'm thinking, go ahead um, and shout know, out the address if you want people to pull up. <laughs> that, I ain't worried about it, man. You know, pull up. Go go check out First Baptist Church in Rockport, Texas. Love the people there, right? But I'm thinking there's like there's there's paved uh you know a paved parking lot that goes around like 80% of the building and a field on one side. And I'm thinking they're gonna put me out back so I'm not making this big mess mm-hmm. in the you know in front of the, the 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 building and stuff, and it won't be an eyesore. And so um this is in South Texas. Um so where I live, we have basically like two seasons. We have summer. And then we have um, like past summer, right? There is no winter. There is no fall. Last Christmas, it was like 84 degrees, right? I mean, this is like, like, I think we have about 10 days a year here where it's under 60. It is, it is warm. Our, our heat index, like our, our heat, the temperature doesn't typically get over like 95, but we have like our humidity will get over a hundred percent. And so the heat index is very often over triple digits. Like if you go outside in the middle of June, July, August, September, you know, May even, like you walk outside, you spend 15 minutes outside and you can wring your shirt out. Like it is okay. sweltering here nonstop. So what's the in, weather like in November? Because I'm going to be in Dallas, in, Texas in November. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. See, Dallas is radically different than South Texas. You're, okay. you're, it's not even the same climate. Like Dallas, Dallas is not the Dallas, you're... Yeah, Dallas is not the same climate as what's on the coast. So Dallas will get really cold winters. Dude, Dallas will get snow. The last time it snowed where I'm at is 2004. Wow. Like we we don't get no no no. There was so in 2000, yeah, we don't get snow here. We don't get cold weather here. You get a few days, but like you know, it's hot. And so middle of summer, I'm thinking they're going to put me out back. And so, you know, I'm back there getting set up and the pastor comes to me and goes, "Why are you doing that back there?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I didn't think you guys want me to be um um uh, oh no, this wasn't in Live Oak, Texas. This was a this was a street called Live Oak in Rockport, Texas. But I was just responding to a comment. Okay. Um, but um, um, he's like, "No, you go do this up front by the road because there's one place in the parking lot right by the front where everyone can see where there's these big, massive oak trees that provide a ton of shade." My church didn't care that it was going to be an eyesore. They were concerned about ministering to the lost, about reaching the lost of the gospel, about being the body of Christ to the world. And so they didn't care. Like the best way to steward that church wasn't to 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 guard the, the beauty of it, but to use it for the purpose of Christ, right? And so they they 
Yeah, man, they got involved. They gave me a place when I needed it to work. Um, you know, and that was really, really significant. Another time I was, um, you know, again, I was working out of this ghetto bus in 1990, Mazda 626 things, thing was on its last legs. And, um, and so I had this guy one time, Scott Lewis calls me up. He goes, Hey, you know, me and my wife, um, we help support this single mom. We're trying to help her get on her feet. The transmission or the car is out. Can you replace it? I'm like, sure. Cool. And so we couldn't do it at her place because she lived in an apartment complex. So we've got, you know, Scott and his wife bought the transmission. You know, we've got it at his house. You know, I'm changing it out. And, you know, we're talking, you know, people always hang out and talk when I'm working on their stuff. And he asked me what church I worked at. Him and his wife thought I was a pastor full time and just kind of on the side, I would fix cars for people. And I'm like, nah, bro. I'm like, this is this is it. This is my job. Dude, they were so shocked by that, that they looked at like and they looked at the car that I was working out of to as my like my work vehicle and they bought me an F-150. Like I didn't go asking for that. I wasn't looking for that. It wasn't brand new, but it was like one of the best. It was like one of the best years of F-150 that they make. And so. You know, I constantly, constantly saw God come through, you know, to provide the needs of my family and then also to sustain that business. This goes back to the fishes and loaves, right? When you live by faith, it doesn't mean that you wait for God to show you what you need. A lot of people think that waiting on the Lord means you sit there and you're just waiting. Waiting on the Lord involves activity on your part a lot of times. It means you're going to walk forward into what God has called you to do and then. And then he shows up, right? It's it's your, it, it, I think the faith is like a door, right? It, it's, it's like, like when you, they received the Holy Spirit, they had to wait yeah. on the Lord after they went into the upper room. They were waiting yeah. on the Lord. Then he yeah. showed up, but they had an expectation as well. Yeah, there's, there's an, and so, yeah. And so, and so like, I think of faith is like a door. So imagine God is asking you to walk through this door, right? To take the step of faith through this. You can't see what's on the other side. That door looks like something from Monster House. It's scary. You think it's going to eat you. You don't know what's on the other side, but you know who is on the other side. Hebrews 11, one says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, some translations will say the conviction or the assurance of things not seen, but there's this Greek word there that means an assurance caused by evidence. Christian faith is not a blind faith. It is based on evidence, right? Mm -hmm. When I got saved, when I actually put my faith in Jesus, I had evidence, right? I had testimony from other believers that if you put your faith in Jesus, your life is going to change. You're going to be freed and forgiven from your sin. I had seen on lives of other believers. When I when I went and told my wife, hey, I'm supposed to run this idiotic business, I had evidence about my faith because of the change that God had already made in me. When we wrote a check that we couldn't cover, I had evidence that God would be faithful. Like there's, you're walking through a door that you can't see what's on the other side, but you know who is on the other side because he has always been on the other Mm -hmm. other side of that door every single time, right? Right, and I think it's important for people to grasp that when it comes down to faith, ultimately it's trusting God to be God. It's trusting yeah. God to do what only God can do. When you have faith, you step out on things that's unknown to you, but because you know you belong to God and you are his child and that he knows the number of hairs that's on your head and that you know he's going to take care of your needs, you're going to step out in faith and trust God to be God because God loves you and he's going to take care of you because you're yeah. important to him. So when you lack faith, it's also like lacking trust in the creator 
and what he has already ordained for your life. I think that's a big yeah. deal when it comes to faith. Well, and, and it goes back to that thing with Gideon, right? Like God is like, I want to get the glory from this. So anytime we're living by faith, it requires risk. Taking a step of faith means you are risking failure. You're doing something that is guaranteed to fail if God doesn't show up and make it work. Because what was Gideon? Gideon had the stupidest battle plan. In the, like, I mean, no, dude, dude, There's there has never been a dumber battle plan, right? What's his battle plan? Okay, all right, guys, look. We're going to break up into groups of 100. <laughs> There's three groups. There's 150,000 guys down there that want to kill us. And so we're going to go stand at the top of the hill. Everybody, what did they do? They, they had a torch. They had a trumpet yep. and, and a clay pot. And so what we want you to do, here's the plan, right? This is actually, no, there was a dumber one. I'll get to that in a minute. But, like, here's what we're going to do, right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to smash the pots and blow the trumpets and light the torches. Ooh. That's our battle plan, right? <laughs> and what happened? They did that, and an angel and and God caused the army that they were against to turn on themselves, mm. to become panicked, and to turn on themselves, and they wiped each other out. There was another time, Je- Jehoshaphat. These are my favorite stories in the Bible, right? So Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, godly, godly, godly man, right? There's um there is this um army, these three nations that were that got together to go wipe out Judah. Mm-hmm. Judah's outnumbered, and and so and Judah's outnumbered like like I don't know what the the, the outnumbering is, but they they can't win. They do not have the resources. They don't have the army. They don't have the ability to win. So they fast and pray for three days. And the guy's like, "All right, y'all, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight this for you. I got this, right?" And so I love this. They they had a worse battle plan than Gideon because Gideon's at least got three hundred soldiers there, right? Mm-hmm. The Israelites sent people ahead of them unarmed to worship so they've got this they've got all the people in judah they march out to where this enemy camp is with the worshipers in the front right right and when they get there everybody's dead and they got to harvest the victory because god again had caused those army those three armies to turn on each other and they completely wiped each other out right they there was if you if you did that today, like let's say you got some people who want to wipe you out and you go out there today, like you're guaranteed to fail. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't work unless God shows up. Those things you read about in the Bible, they are unexplainable apart from God. Those things don't work unless there's a God and he makes them work. It's the only possible way, right? And right. so that's that's the kind of thing that God still wants to do through the lives of his people today. He's still doing those things. Like my life is evidence of that. I've got a friend named Brandon. Oh my God. I'm going to tell you about my friend, Brandon, right? This is, this is, I, this is, this is, so my buddy, Brandon, he landed his dream job. He was working in high-end real estate doing finance. Like he's making six figures. He was on a guaranteed trajectory to make like seven figures a year. So he is within a decade going to have like, by the time he's in his 30s, he's going to have a, you know, over billion dollar a year income. Like it's not a maybe could be pot. Like it is a guaranteed gonna happen thing with the trackings in. Right. right. And, and, and God comes to him and says, this is your dream for your life. It's not my dream for your life. So he goes to his wife, tells her, and he quits, right. Quits this job that is guaranteed to be millions per year. And so he goes off, he goes in and helps plant a church that becomes a mega church. They end up with well, smaller, but they have like 1500 people. And again, he's making, you know, six figures a year. And God tells him again, this is your dream for your life. It's not mine. So he leaves this, this, like he's in ministry, right? And he right. leaves that. And so he starts doing like traveling and speaking and he gets invited 
to uh, South America. I think I can't remember the country. I think it was Brazil. But he gets invited to this country, to this church. And so he goes and he's supposed to speak and he doesn't get to speak and he's just feeling dejected, right? He's like, why am I here if I'm not going to speak? And so at the end of the night, this woman uh, comes and doesn't speak Spanish. I mean, doesn't speak English. She she speaks Portuguese, I think. And, um, and through her translator, she tells her, um, you know, God gave me a vision and it was of, of you. Like I, I saw, I'm supposed to ask for the, you know, your name is Brandon, right? And, and, and God has something he wants me to tell you. He said, um, oh man, what was it? He said, uh, God wants me to tell you that, um, uh, uh, you don't spend enough time. You're too worried about money. You don't spend enough time with him. And now he's, he was speaking at, you know, you know, preparing sermons all the time. And, and so his first thought when she said, don't spend enough time with them, the first thing he thought was, well, you know, I prepare sermons. I'm constantly in the Bible. Right. And the next thing she said is, she said, um, you know, I, I know you prepare sermons, but you don't spend time with God for yourself. And, and then, and then, and then she, she told him, God is going to give you, uh, send you to like another part of the world. Like he's giving you, uh, some keys or something and a, to, to a door. And, and he's like, what does that mean? And, and, and she had this in the vision, she saw his office back in America where he prepared sermons and stuff. And like, she described it in detail. Wow. Right. And, and he's just like, holy cow. And so the next day, you know, next day comes and, um, doesn't get to preach again. Well, another woman shows up and she speaks English and, 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 and this woman comes up to him and, and he's got a, his right arm is, has a sleeve tattoo. And she said, is your name Brandon? And he goes, yeah. He said, God gave me a vision to find a man whose arm was covered in tattoo. His name is Brandon. And he's like, did you see me? And she goes, no, but you know, it was a tattoo arm guy named Brandon. And um, he wanted me to tell you that you're too worried about money. You don't spend enough time with him. And God is calling you to a part of the world where he's going to give you like keys to set his people free. And, and she told him something else. It's going to be a really dangerous part of the world. But don't worry, because God is going to take care of you. And so he's kind of freaking out, right? And right. then some other, like some some other things happened. There was um, he had ended up preaching at that place later. Well, um, not long after that, some people from Pakistan reached out to him. They'd seen his sermon, and they're like, "Hey, you need to come over here." So, long story short, he ended up in Pakistan and found out. And most people don't know this, but Pakistan has a slavery problem like America had before the Civil War. Mm. There, there are currently, no one knows the exact number, but there are between 3 million and four and a half million people living in slavery in Pakistan right now. Wow. Same conditions we had in America. Now, the way you become a slave there, it's a little bit different. Like people, um, don't there's, they don't have like a slave market there. So they don't have like people catching slaves. They don't have, it's different. Like the way you become a slave in Pakistan, it's something you're born into. Basically mm. when you're born, if your family has ancestral debt, you inherit that, and then you spend your entire life trying to work it off. Mm. And so the way they're set up is like a typical family of six um, will have, um, you know, a one-room shack, no utilities, and they might get like a thousand calories worth of food per day to live off of. And from the time kids are really young, they're forced to start working, and they make bricks their entire life. Um, every day they work, they might make 90 cents towards their debt. But they're charged like a dollar towards their living expenses. And so they're never able to work their way out of it. Brandon found that out. He got, got some people together there. And they started buying families out of slavery. 
They set them free and then they help them become self-sufficient. So wow. the average there and, and now their money is so different there. Like the average cost to free a person there is like 250 bucks. Every person, instead of having, um, instead of having, um, having like an identity, you have a title, you have a deed. Somebody owns you over there, like owning a car, like you are registered as a slave. And the way that the law is set up there, if you pay somebody's debt, you get that person. The owner of that person can't keep them. And the owners don't want people buying their slaves because that's their livelihood, right? They get this person that they own that works for them for the rest of their life for free, right? They, they're getting free labor. So you buy somebody and they're losing that income. They do not, when you buy somebody out of slavery, you're not lining anybody's pockets. You're ending the livelihood of a slave owner, which I'm all for ending the livelihood of a slave owner. I got no issues with that, right? right. And so um, to give you an idea of like the reason why it's so hard for them to get out of there, I say 250 bucks. I'm like, I probably got, I probably, you know, there's, you know, I got, there's two $100 bills. I got my, my wallet right now, you know, and there, you know, I got 250 bucks and, and I didn't plan this, right? I just happened to have $200 bills and a 50 and, you know, I got about $300 on me right now, 320, right? I could, I could. I could buy somebody out of slavery for this amount of money and for another 20, 40, you know, um, you know, 50 bucks, I can pay their living expenses for the next six months. So what uh -huh. Brandon and his team do is they go, they buy these people out for $250. They have enough money to cover their living expenses for six months. And by the time they get out of that, they're self-sufficient. And so in that six months, they help them find jobs. They have a school there where kids get to go to school for free. Right. And they're, they're helping these people change their lives. And, um, to give you an idea of the difference in money though. So he, he was telling me like one time they went over there and he works like he's dealing with like government officials, agencies, you know, police, different, different organizations over there. And so they went to this five-star restaurant one time, like think, think, you know, Gordon Ramsay's best restaurant or whoever working right. five-star Michelin star kind of, kind of thing. And, um, and 20 people, their bill after tip was $90. Wow. So that's the, just to, as an idea of the difference in money. So, you know, you go, you talk about going to a five-star, you know, thing here, you're going to spend per person, you know, I've never been somewhere this fancy, but you're going to spend a couple of hundred bucks. Like that's what you're expecting, you know, two to $500 per head at the best restaurants in America there. You're not even spending that for 20 people. And it's the same, like, and so it's this incredibly different um, economy that they have there. And so in 2022, Brandon and his team, he started that he started buying people in it was either March or May of 2022. They freed 303 people. This year wow. in 2020, oh dude, dude, their goal, their goal. So God always does more. There's this verse that says God does exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or imagine. So his goal at the beginning of 2023 was to by the end of 2023 to have freed like total from when he started a total of a thousand people. In 2023 alone, they're up to 1,800 people. Wow, we already hit that. Oh, dude, they blown. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and then and then the 303 that they freed last year, and so and and if you want to check out his website, it's Exodus51.org. Like the the word Exodus, Man. the number five, the number one dot org, right? Which in Exodus 5:1, it's this command from God to Pharaoh to let my people go. That's what it's based on. And so again, but this is what it looks like to live by faith. He was like, he's, we, we, I just started, um, so we're making a, a TV show based on what I do on social media, right? Where we tell people stories. It is seeing God at work in the world, right? And he's going to be on there. And so he was telling me about the first time we went over there, he had $12,000 cash, right? 
He's he's in this dark van going through these streets with guys with like AK-47s. Like it's dangerous. His life has been threatened. He's been attacked, and God keeps protecting him and keeping him safe. He had um, you know, he's got people there that are that are like involved in the government and stuff that are that hate the slavery and they're helping him end it, right? And so God keeps going before him to help him, to enable him, to empower him to be able to do this stuff. And so, um, yeah, and this is what it looks like to live by faith. Like, what did he do? He left millions of dollars. And I've had people that are like, well, he should have kept the job that was millions of dollars because then, you know, he could have freed so many more people. And I'm like, no, if he wasn't boots on the ground in Pakistan, he wouldn't have access to those people. It's not enough to just say, I've got money. I'm going to throw it at the slavery problem there. It's He's got to physically be there orchestrating that, organizing it, you know, working with people there, coming back to the U.S., working with, like, government officials, working with people in power here to funnel resources to there, like, to make it happen. It's a process. Right? It's not just something yeah. you can say, hey, here's my bank account number. Here, take it. It doesn't work that way. No, yeah. no. It's it's because because here's the thing. The slave owners don't want people freeing their slaves because they lose their livelihood. So it is a constant fight. It is a constant, ongoing battle to make it happen. So yeah, he's got to be boots on the ground in Pakistan. Where it's, and this is what it looks like to live by faith. Like this, this guy, and, and he'll tell you this, right? <laughs> he's not anything special. He's a regular guy who said yes to God, who gave up everything to follow Jesus. And here's the thing. You know, I used to, growing up for the first 30 years, I would hear people like him come to my church. I would hear missionaries come to my church. I would be like, I want to see stuff like that happen in my life. I would be jealous of those people because what God was doing in their life. And the thing is, it's like, that's the kind of life that God wants for every single one of his followers. Now, it's not the exact same thing, but there's nobody that when you get saved, God is like, you know what? I want your life to be boring. Like, no, God doesn't do that. God is like, man, I have a plan for your life. And he knows how he designed you, right? In Psalm 139, it talks about how we're fearfully, wonderfully made. God knows us before we're born. He created us. He gave us our identity. Like he has a plan and a purpose for us. Ephesians 2.10, we're God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are God's masterpiece that was designed for good works that we should walk in them, right? Right. And, and the thing is, is God has this plan for your life. But until you are surrendered to him, like I listen to a lot of audio books. I travel a lot. I, I, I read, I listen to and read a lot of stories of people that have followed Jesus and God has done amazing things through their life, right? The most recent one I listened to was one on D.L. Moody. Dude, oh my gosh. If you don't know who D.L. Moody is, and you want to freak out at what God can do through somebody's life, listen to DL, like read about DL Moody, but you read about people like him. You read about guys like Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor is known as the father of modern missions, right? Um, like you read about these, these men and, and women throughout history that, 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 that God did amazing things through. And there's one thing that's unified. You can talk about baptism in the Holy spirit, call it whatever you want, explain it however you want. Right. And, 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 you know, sometimes the way we believe gets in the way of what we, you know, stuff. But when you look at the lives of these people that God does amazing things through, there is a common denominator by faith. They're surrendered to God. Mm. They're wholly surrendered to God and they live by faith That's without faith. This is one of the, the most striking verses in the Bible. Um, uh, 
Oh, Trisha, hey, what's going on? Someone I, I know just popped in. One of the most striking verses in the Bible, and I think this should scare people. Like, I don't mean, I mean, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That should cause us to look at our lives and go, am I living by faith? 